0: Welcome to the Fat Bird Ugly Dog podcast. I'm Al Frank, coming to you from Central Alberta, Canada. I'm on my own today, but in upcoming episodes, the plan is to talk to a bunch of bird dog trainers and falconers who use operant conditioning to train their birds and or their bird dogs. So before talking to these guests, I thought it might be wise to provide a quick operant conditioning 101 guide for the uninitiated or for those requiring A refresher. This is by no means a thorough explanation, but it should be sufficient to allow you to follow most aspects of most conversations that deal with operant conditioning to train an animal. Clicker training, if you've heard of that, has its basis in operant conditioning. So if you know of or how to use clicker training, then you know of or how to use operant conditioning. Although operant conditioning is much better known and more often applied to training dogs than it is to training falconry birds, there are several examples of operant conditioning being applied by falconers. The most notable falconer in this regard is Steve Lehman. Steve has published several articles, one in the April 1994 edition of Hawk Chalk, Vertical Jumping to the Fist, which describes his use of operant conditioning to train goshawks to perform vertical jump ups as part of his training regime. Three other articles include Restraint Training in April 95, Fear Training in December 99, and Face to Face Aggression in 2001. During that same time frame, Karen Pryor, an animal behaviorist, well-versed in the application of operant conditioning, and author of Don't Shoot the Dog, spoke at the 1996 NAFA field meet in Lamar, Texas. To get us started, I want to outline some basic terms. Although the glossary of terms surrounding operant conditioning is long, I'm going to focus on only nine terms. The first term to know is primary reinforcer. It's usually defined as any motivating factor that is essential to survival, and the best examples that are typically given are food and water. If you use treats or tidbits to reinforce wanted behavior in your dogs or your birds, then you're already making use of a primary reinforcer. The second term is secondary reinforcer, also sometimes called a conditioned reinforcer. A secondary reinforcer is any neutral factor that when paired with a primary forcer inherits the reinforcing properties of the primary reinforcer. For example, if you use a clicker paired with treats or tidbits, then the sound of the clicker would be considered the secondary reinforcer. The consequence of using a secondary reinforcer is that it strengthens the effect of the primary reinforcer. In other words, when you use a secondary reinforcer, say a clicker, you are amplifying the effect of the primary reinforcer. Q is the next term. A cue is a signal asking for a specific behavioral response that leads to receiving a secondary reinforcer, which then leads to receiving a primary reinforcer. For example, using the verbal cue SIT results in your dog receiving secondary reinforcement in combination with primary reinforcement when it sits. The fourth term to define is Variable Reinforcement. This should be thought of as a reinforcement schedule where the secondary reinforcer is provided after every correct behavioral response but the primary reinforcer is provided randomly or irregularly. The important thing to know here Is that as a consequence of variable reinforcement, the effect of the secondary reinforcer is strengthened? For example, you use the cue here to recall your dog. Once it is recalled, you immediately use the secondary reinforcer, but don't give the dog a treat. You then immediately use the cue sit, and when the dog sits, you follow that with both the secondary and primary reinforcers. The fifth term is free shaping. This is simply the process of using an animal's voluntary behaviors to teach it which behavior is desired. For example, if you simply wait until your dog sits and then you mark that behavior, With a secondary reinforcer, the clicker, and follow that with a primary reinforcer, you are free shaping sitting as a wanted behavior. It doesn't take the dog too long to learn that it can make you click and give it a treat just by sitting. Once the dog has learned that sitting is the wanted behavior, you can overlay the behavior with the cue Sit using secondary and primary reinforcers. Eventually, the dog responds to the cue alone. Structured shaping is the sixth term. This is the process of establishing a more complex behavior by selectively reinforcing and building on existing behavior. For example, if you want your dog to remain on its bed for long periods of time, you can shape this behavior by first free-shaping the behavior of simply stepping onto the bed and then gradually extending the duration of time spent on the bed. The seventh term is extinction. This is the gradual weakening and eventual disappearance of a behavioral response either one that's wanted or unwanted, due to lack of reinforcement. The eighth term is generalize. This is simply the process of ensuring that the wanted behavior is offered consistently under multiple environmental conditions, even when there are distractions present. The last term is luring. Luring is a method of directing behavior using a primary reinforcer to entice the animal to offer the desired behavior. For example, a garnished glove hand can be used to entice a falconry bird to leave its perch and fly to the food. It is possible to use luring to create more complex behaviors, for example stooping to the lure, but behaviors that are learned through luring easily become extinct. Now that I have defined these terms, developing a wanted behavior is a relatively straightforward application of a five-step process as follows. Start with free shaping, followed by reinforcing a behavior, then overlaying, cueing, and generalizing the behavior and finally, concluding with structured shaping of much more complex behavior. Typically, animal behaviorists suggest taking care to avoid inadvertently shaping unwanted behaviors. For example, if taking a pitch is a desired behavior for a falcon, then Flushing or launching quarry when the falcon has not reached the desired pitch will very likely reinforce low pitch because flushing of the quarry is considered a secondary reinforcer. This is likely true even if the intent of the falconer is to teach the falcon that it cannot catch quarry from a low pitch. Remember Ed Pitcher's point here. It's not what you think, it's what the bird thinks. So, how do we go about using operant conditioning to shape behavior? Ultimately, there are only two types of behaviors those that are wanted and those that are unwanted. Thus, the goal is straightforward and simple. We want to increase the frequency of wanted behaviors and decrease the frequency of unwanted behaviours. Frequency of wanted behaviours can increase in two ways. You can either add something good to the training environment as a reward for the wanted behaviour, which is typically referred to as positive reinforcement, or you can remove something bad from the training environment, which is typically referred to as negative reinforcement similarly frequency of unwanted behaviors can be decreased in two ways you can add something bad to the training environment as a punishment for the unwanted behavior which is typically referred to as positive punishment or you can remove something good from the training environment this is typically referred to as negative punishment. Note that the terms positive and negative do not equate to good things and bad things. They just mean that a rewarding or punishing reinforcer is either added or taken away from the training environment. Let's take a look at some examples using dog training. Positive reinforcement be familiar to everybody it would be simply the act of giving a treat as a reward for say sitting negative reinforcement would be switching the e-collar vibrate mode to off as a reward for recalling positive punishment on the other hand would be switching the e-collar vibrate mode to on as a punishment, say for leaving the dog bed without being released. Once the dog returns to the dog bed, vibrate mode is switched to off. Negative punishment. The best example I have heard is what is referred to as a retrieve denial, where the opportunity to make a retrieve is taken away as punishment for not Remaining steady. To conclude, it's important to acknowledge that it's not a prerequisite of operant conditioning to use all four options in equal proportions. In fact, many dog trainers, and likely all falconers, will not use positive punishment as part of their training regime. If you have any questions or comments, visit the Fat Bird Ugly Dog Facebook page and leave me a comment.